Hi, everyone. My name is Tess. And I'm Savannah. We are sisters, entrepreneurs, and hosts of the Madeline Podcast. On this podcast, our goal is to converse with some of our favorite female entrepreneurs, to learn how they started and grew their business, to gather the tips, strategies, and mindsets that help make these amazing women so successful. Today, we're chatting with Jade Herman, founder of Yogu, a dairy-free coconut yogurt handmade in Vancouver. In this episode, we cover the nitty-gritty of scaling a small business, trusting your gut, and finding purpose in your career. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and leave us a comment. We love to hear from you and are so excited to bring you this episode. Uh, all right, I guess we'll just jump right in. Yeah, go for it. Uh, your website talks about your founding story and how you transitioned to veganism and couldn't find a yogurt that you really liked. Uh, so you decided to make your own. Could you speak to that experience kind of and how it shaped yogurt? Mm-hmm. So it was three years ago and I had graduated from university. I had moved to Paris because I actually studied abroad there and I'm not a city girl at heart, but Paris was one of those places that I loved. I think I really loved the community and the culture. And so when I graduated, I moved back and got a job working at a cold press juicery and I was a personal assistant for an old school uh, Hollywood actress named Olivia de Havilland and just really like living out my my dreams of living in Paris Um, and it definitely was a dream like I I really enjoyed my time there got to eat some incredible food I would say I've always been like a foodie just have always enjoyed you know like planning my days around which cafe I was going to go to or where I was going to go eat for dinner um, and definitely just surrounded myself around more people that also enjoyed food. So I feel like the French really know how to enjoy life. And I feel like that's something that I've carried on with me. It's like, you know, after work, they don't go home and work more. They go out and they like, you know, will have an aperitif and go and see their friends. And so it was just like this time in my life that, you know, just, just really, I loved. And with that, you know, I spent a lot of time going to the grocery store and eating the most decadent yogurt. And at the time I was only vegetarian. So I was still eating like cow's milk yogurt. Um, And they actually had these little like mini ceramic pot yogurts called La Fermiere. And um, it was like really decadent, thick yogurt. And so that was just what I would eat. And then I made the decision to move back to Vancouver because the Paris attacks had actually happened in Paris. And things were just, it was a really strange time. So yeah, I just decided that yeah, things were really chaotic there. And, um, you know, just decided to move back to Vancouver and, you know, just had to reevaluate what I wanted to do because it was mm-hmm. like, okay, you've graduated university. Now it's time to find like a real person job, you know? And like, <laughs> what is that going to look like? I had gone to school for communications. So it was just like, you know, do I want to go into communications? I had very little experience. So it was just this time in my life where I was just like a little bit confused and, you know, really trying to find meaning in my life. And I think it caused me a lot of like angst Mm -hmm. and confusion. So 
I, I decided can resonate. to. I understand. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like the more people that I speak to, you know, everybody seems to find themselves in this point in their life, and I think that there's so much power in those points because it kind of just like shakes you to your core and really makes you like reflect on what your values are and what you want your life to look like. And so I definitely didn't take that moment lightly. It it caused me a lot of stress, but ultimately I feel like I needed that, you know, moment to really just kind of shape where I am in my life right now. So I decided to find a job at a company called Vega, which is like a plant-based protein company that's local to Vancouver. Um, I grew up eating it. Oh, I know. (laughs) That's so Mm -hmm. funny. I didn't know they were from Vancouver. Yeah, they were founded by Brendan Brazier and Charles Chang, who like started it out of their basement in Burnaby, um, which is like a suburb outside of Vancouver. So they had started it and did really well. They actually sold the company to Danone. um, And so they got bought out. And when I came in, I actually didn't know that they got bought out. So I thought it was going to be like a you know, this like small startup sort of mentality when in fact it was like a bigger corporation at that point. So, you know, I ended up working there for six months and just realized really shortly after I got there that I think an office job wasn't what I was, you know, wanting in my life. I think that sitting behind a desk and you know, just having computer screen time all the time wasn't exactly what I had envisioned for my life. Um, And so it really just made me hone in on cooking on my off time, spending time at home and like, you know, making sourdough and kombucha from scratch that just really filled me up. Um, And I also transitioned to a plant-based diet when I moved home. So I just, you know, decided to cut out all animal byproducts, um, meat, fish, and it, it made me really reflect on foods that I couldn't enjoy anymore because, you know, I think the plant-based space has obviously evolved a lot but I think there's a lot of products that were kind of just subpar and I just decided that I wouldn't consume them because they, they didn't taste good. So like I I just didn't need them and yogurt was one of those things. So I thought, Hey, I'm going to watch some YouTube videos and see how I can make a coconut yogurt. Minimalist Baker had like a, a recipe that seemed pretty simple. It was like coconut milk and probiotics. So I was like, seems easy enough I can't really screw this one up Um, but sure enough I like screwed it up and it smelled really bad (laughs) and I was like I don't think that I'm making this right and so I kind of just forgot about it and then as I was ending my time at Vega I was like man like I have more time on my hands now like I should just retry making that that coconut yogurt um And then I just got really obsessed with it because it was like this challenge that I felt like I needed in my life again. And this sort of like purpose um, for myself, really, because, you know, since moving back from Paris, it was like Jade felt this like kind of lost feeling and this sense of purpose, like I mentioned. And so it just gave me a, a great outlet to just channel my energy into something that was really 
beneficial for myself so that I could have tasty yogurt. Um, but really just like focus my energy on something that I liked. And that's really how it started. Um, yeah. You know, just started in my kitchen. Like I don't have any experience in R&D and food technology, anything of that sort. So, you know, just came from a place of exploration. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like we come from a similar place. Yeah, it's just curiosity. Um, when you were making it in your kitchen, what did you, like, when did you go from making it to selling it? Mm-hmm. So I knew that I obviously couldn't sell products from my home. I did do like some, some initial batches and I sold them to friends and family just to get like, you know, their feedback, but I knew that I needed to move to a commercial kitchen. And so Vancouver in like the past five years has had like a commissary kitchen that, you know, started up and a lot of people have seen what they've been up to and have, you know, developed their own kitchens after because it's such a great place for food people to come with like very little, you know, overhead because they facilitate everything. You just pay them like a monthly fee and you have your own section that's designated for you. And then, you know, the, the food and safety people are happy because you're in a, like a commercial facility. And so I found a space, it was like 600 bucks, I think a month, which was a lot of money at the time because I didn't have really any money coming in from selling product. And it was definitely like very risky because I was like, man, I don't know if this is going to work out. I think it was like a, a one year lease as well. So I was like, man, that's a lot of time oh, for gosh, something that yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And it was like $600 a month. And I remember going and he was like, well, I can give you a cheaper space if you get the spot on top, which is you got to like walk a flight of stairs to get there. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, I think he got me down to like $500. And I was like, yeah, I'll take it. Little did I know that I'd have to haul everything up those stairs um, for the next year. So kind of a poor decision on my part but you know it just I think it just made me more comfortable with the fact that like okay I can get this off the ground $500 a month I ended up getting a part-time job on the side just to kind of fund things as I was going because realistically I knew that I you know had expenses that I needed to pay for and you know as I was starting to get the ball rolling with yogu I wouldn't exactly see a lot of return um, right away so yeah, that's really how it how it started. And then I, after that, I was like, okay, well now I can actually go out to stores and I can ask them if they're interested in this product because they'll take me seriously now. Um, and yeah, that that's kind of how it started. Did you ever go and get like a loan or anything to use towards yoga or was it all self-funded? Mm, it is all self-funded. And that's, wow. you know, it during university and high school, I always had a part time job. But yet I were I lived at home. So I feel like I maybe did this like subconsciously, I don't know why I did it because my friends were like, you live at home, why are you getting a part time job? And, you know, I think that's just like, it was instilled in me from like a very young age to just like, you know, have this really strong work ethic. And I just had 
jobs on the side. And I think it made me a better student because I could manage my time a lot better. But I always just kind of kept that money as like a safety net. Um, And so that's really what I threw into starting Yogu. I had about, well, $15,000 that I threw at Yogu when I started. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Congrats. That's like no small feat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, like it was, once again, it was, it felt really risky to be like, okay, I'm throwing all of my savings at something that ultimately I don't know if it's going to work out. But I think I've always been very tolerant to risk and it just felt right. Um, I actually had a conversation with a good friend of mine the other day and we were just catching up and she said, Jade, do you remember when you had first started yoga and we went for brunch and I was so passionate about it. I couldn't stop talking about it. And I said to her, I guess something along these lines, I said, Nina, I, as my friend, I really need you to support me in this decision. And if I want to give up at any time, I really need you to just like, you know, give me those pep talks and like, tell me that like, I just need to push forward because I knew in my heart that it was something that I really, really needed to, to pursue because it just felt so right. Um, like when everything clicked, it was like, no, this is, this is that like meaning and that purpose that I've wanted to find. That you were and when it, for. yeah. And when everything finally clicked, it was like, whoa, this feels so good. And like, I can't give up. I just need to keep pushing forward. And that was just the beginning. You know, like I felt like I was just, I look back and I was very naive. I knew nothing about the food industry. I knew nothing about starting a business. And so I look back and like, you know, by telling her, don't let me give up. I mean, there's moments now where, you know, ultimately you have hard days and you're like, can I do this? But for me, it's very much just like one foot in front of the other. Did you ever like take on a mentor or something to help you through those new challenges? Or did you always figure everything out on your own? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. And it's actually something, to be honest, that I've only started to dive into more recently. So to answer your question, I didn't have a mentor very early on. So when I started this three years ago, it was very much just me, myself and I and like Google (laughs) and Google. (laughs) Yeah. And it really has been that way, I would say, up until about six months ago. And then everything changed because, you know, I feel like as you start to progress in your business, there's even more unknowns. And I, I really do believe that, you know, mentors, like, it, it's incredible, because the mentors that I have now, I feel like I, w- I kind of like put it out into the universe. And I knew that I needed someone because I was going through a lot of really like difficult decisions that really could, you know, change the trajectory of where yoga was headed and felt very confused because I hadn't gone through fundraising before to give you an example. And so I just knew that that decision was really important and pivotal for the business. 
and that there was a lot of noise from like outside you know forces and I just needed someone to come in and to be very candid there was someone that I had known about and that I had seen um and I had said, I don't know, maybe a little while ago, I was like, I need that person in my life. Like, she is just like this force. And like, I am so inspired by her work. And I need to meet her. And now fast forward, she's like helping us do our first fundraising round. And it just feels incredibly like, you know, kismet that like all of this has happened. Um, And she is a huge mentor in my life. And so are more women. And I love saying this because, you know, I feel like also the space that I'm in, there are inherently a lot of men in the space. And I think that I always wanted to find some incredible female mentors. And, you know, I am kind of happy that I that I waited this long because ultimately, you know, I, I've surrounded myself around some really incredible people. But I now that I have mentors, I'm like, why didn't I have them sooner? But oh, well. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Did you have retailers sign on before you started to produce? like in the commissary kitchen or did you kind of just go in and hope for the best? Mm-hmm. No, they didn't sign on before. I don't think I was organized enough to have like <laughs> pre-sale things. Um, yeah, I remember going to our first store. It's a zero waste store here in Vancouver called the Soap Dispensary. And I I loved it. I loved just like their overall ethos and the vibe inside their store. And I loved that it was zero waste. And so I approached her. I went in with like a very small sample. It was like a mason jar at the time. And she said right away, she's like, yeah, we'll bring your product in. And I was like, you don't want to try it first. And she's like, actually, I can't. I am allergic to coconut. And I was like, (laughs) oh, wow. Like, that's really incredible that like you want to bring in a product that like you can't even try she was like no I I just know that it will do really well I was like okay like and that you know like those little moments where someone really like believes in you like it's so important and I I say this to so many people it's like you really need to rally yourself around cheerleaders that believe in you like it's it's not the time when you're starting a business to surround yourself around negative people or the naysayers. Like I, I totally get, you know, constructive feedback and people that really want to to pose potential problems to you and make you think critically in those ways. But I do believe that you need to surround yourself around people that are really supportive. And Lynn from the soap dispensary was one of those people very early on. And that just gave me like that confidence boost to be like, okay, I can keep reaching out to other stores. Um, And I remember going back to the kitchen because she had like made an order first order. Um, And then I went and I made her order, brought it to her store. And she had people that were waiting outside the store waiting for the yogurt. And then she phoned me a couple hours later and she was like, Jade, we sold out. Can you make more? And I was like, I mean, it's fermented. I I can't. (laughs) Yeah. So that was pretty wild. 
and I brought back more yogurt and it was kind of just like a week or so of them selling out right away and you know me having to go back to the kitchen and make more and then slowly we just started bringing on more retailers and you know my approach was very grassroots I would go to the store bring a sample meet with the manager or the buyer and you know just it kind of progressed that way and then it you know, started with more independent, smaller retailers. And then I always knew, like for me, I love Whole Foods. Um, it's it's a store that I definitely grew up going to, you know, for groceries, hot bar, salad bar. Um, and so I knew that it was one of the stores <clears throat> that I wanted to be in because ultimately I knew that our customers were shopping in those sorts of stores um and so on a whim i just emailed them because i had someone that had an uh, an email that i should reach out to and they got back to me within a day and they were like great we're doing a category review which i didn't know what that was basically that's when grocery stores pre-plan for like the the next season um, so for instance, if they wanted to start selling our products in September, we would have had to apply like in January. So typically there's like, you oh, know, wow. six to eight month lead time. And that's where all the paperwork and the listing goes through. Um, but even before that, they have to review your product and compare it against other people in the category um, because shelf space is super limited. And so that's essentially a time that they just put all the options on the table. They restructure things. Sometimes they'll take old products off the shelves that aren't performing very well, and then they'll replace them with new ones. Um, but yeah, they, they reviewed yeah, it's so right interesting. away. I didn't realize the process. Yeah. And that was like, you know, this, like it, it was no longer just going into an independent and then being like, yeah, let me push this yogurt aside and we'll put yours in. Um, now it was starting to really be this like bigger ordeal. Um, but yeah, luckily they, they saw that what we were doing was very different and they wanted to bring it in. And even they did something with us where they kind of, there's also something called speed to shelf. So if your product is something that is very innovative and is very new and they don't want to wait that six to eight months, they'll actually bring you on sooner. So they did that for one of their flagship stores here in Vancouver, um, their Canby location. And they brought us in maybe like four months after we had listed with them. Um, and they highlighted us as being like a local vendor. And they ended up giving us shelf space that was like eye level, which is incredible <laughs> um, because that also never happens. Uh, typically, you have to pay for that sort of space. So Oh, Whole Foods wow. has definitely been a huge champion of us and um, they they sell a lot of our product, which, which is great and have told us that, you know, we're one of like the top performing non-dairy and dairy uh, yogurts on their shelves. And we recently just took up one and a half shelves, which is crazy. Um, and we're still at eye height, which is even crazier because that apparently never happens so just super grateful for them and ultimately it's just given our brand that sort of like brand awareness um you know that we needed because 
there are still people that don't know that we exist. Um, so it's really just trying to get that brand out there. I've never tried you guys, but for health reasons, um, not that long ago, I had to cut out dairy and I was trying to find an alternative here. I tried so many. Mm. I never found one I really liked. So I commend you for diving in. And well, I have good news. We are actually planning to launch in a select few stores in Toronto, like in the next month or two. Oh, so, wow. So, so yeah, fun. Very exciting. It. I actually just got off a call with our brokers in the East um, and they were just kind of planning a very soft launch, um, just going direct to stores. So we won't be in any like huge kind of chains yet, but mostly going to like those independents and really having that like, you know, deeper connection with them um, and just really trying to get the brand across Canada. That That is our goal for the next year. Um, so yeah, it's exciting because it's been a really long time coming. I feel like I would say weekly, we probably get like a handful of emails, especially from folks out East in Ontario. And they're like, I tried you while visiting in Vancouver. I moved back. I don't have any options. When are you coming? And it's just been like this, we're going to be there soon because, you know, quite honestly, I didn't know when it was going to be happening because there were so many like parts that needed to align, but it just feels really good to finally reply to those people and say, Hey, we have a rollout plan coming in the next like month or two, hang tight, you know, more announcements to come. I imagine the logistics on perishables are not easy <laughs> to navigate. Absolutely. Yeah. But there's a lot of really great workarounds. Um, and it's, you know, once again, having those mentors that have like done it before, especially from the food industry and that know those kind of like uh, sh tricks of the trade, it, it definitely helps because I, I couldn't imagine doing any of this alone. I imagine you're not in the commissary kitchen anymore. No, we're not in a commissary. Last year, actually, we... I guess we moved out of the commissary two years ago and we moved into another space and we were in the new space that we shared with another company for like four months, I think. And it got to the point where we were just busting out of the seams. We were packing orders in like the parking lot <laughs> because we just had no space and it was right in the height of COVID. And I was like, we need a space stat. Like we we can't, you know, keep doing this. And to to give you a bit of context, building out a facility takes a lot of overhead. Um, and there's not a whole lot of facilities that are already pre-done. So I actually on a whim went on Craigslist and tried finding a facility that already had all of the infrastructure built out, walk-in cooler, sinks, all those sorts of things, and that we'd be ready to just move in and have the health inspector come in and, and inspect the facility. And I ended up finding a space. And so we moved within a cup, actually a month, I think. It was crazy. It was just like, boom, boom, moved our stuff. We literally like 
wrapped all of our stuff, put it on uh, a flat deck of like a, a moving truck and they brought it all over and we removed in in a couple of days. But yeah, it was wild. It was just like, you know, it was right in the height of COVID. So like I knew that we needed to act fast. And like I said, I just found that place on a whim and I was like, didn't look back. We just needed to move. And we've been there since. So we've been there for over a year now. Um, and we actually just secured a lease for our new production facility that is 12 times bigger than where we are currently. Um, and so we're just starting the build out for that. So it's exciting. It's, it's definitely what we need to accommodate our growth. But yeah, it's um, manufacturing is a wild experience. <laughs> Yeah, that's my question is, do you guys still do all the production in house? We do. Yeah, it um, a lot of people will either manufacture in house or they'll use a co-packer or third party manufacturer. And early on, it was something that I I explored because I wanted to see if others could make our product because that just seemed way easier to me. And so I reached out to a lot of dairy factories. So I couldn't find any plant-based vegan yogurt factories that could make our product. And that to me was kind of a deal breaker. Like as someone personally <clears throat> who's vegan, I just didn't love the idea of cross-contamination. contamination. Obviously things are sanitized really well, but just I I believe a lot in like the energy that I put in to yogu. Um, and although I don't make it anymore, I feel like, you know, the team that makes yogu, we have a good time there. Everything, you know, that has touched our equipment is completely plant-based. Like there's no animal byproducts that have touched that. And I just felt very strongly that we needed to be making our own product. And in addition to that, I feel like, our process in what we do at Yogu is very different. And I feel like our intellectual property in that way is really important to us. And I didn't actually realize it at the time. I've, I've definitely started to realize that more now. Um, because it it's what gives us like our upper hand. And I think that I've heard a lot of interesting stories about co-packers whether it's them stealing your intellectual property even if they've signed like a NDA um, but also <clears throat> a co-packer has that upper hand as well so for instance I'll give you an example that I heard recently um, <clears throat> there's a company that was using a co-packer and they decided <clears throat> to raise their rates by 65%. And this company had no choice but to pay that because they couldn't go to another third-party manufacturer and they basically just had to do what they said. And I've just, I've always wanted to be self-sufficient. I've never wanted to have to rely on someone else. And, you know, as we start to really grow, I want to be able to always fulfill those orders and to, you know, have some sort of streamline process in our pricing. I don't want things to fluctuate. Um, so it just more and more seems like more of a no brainer. Um, 
But that being said, building out your own facility takes a lot more overhead. Um, I'm not a mechanical manufacturing type of person. (laughs) Um, But I've also found really incredible people um, to bring onto the team to do those sorts of things. And um, yeah, now I totally geek out over, you know, YouTube videos about filling lines and machines. And it's really cool. Actually, one of my staff was just in Ontario because we just bought a new filling line for our our new factory. And so he was getting acquainted with it and was doing a training there. So yeah, it's really exciting. And, you know, ultimately we need to be able to make more products so that we can expand outside of BC. Um, so yeah, it's kind of just like the next stage in our growth, but it's super exciting. So when you guys come to Ontario, because you're planning to do that soon, mm-hmm. does that mean that you're going to have your own facility over here? No, we're still going to make it here. Yeah. So wow. we're going to be based out of the West Coast. Um, our new facility is just like in a little suburb outside of Vancouver in Coquitlam. So like 30 minute drive from where I'm located right now. Um, But yeah, we will basically, eventually we'll be working with a distributor, which essentially takes care of all of those logistics um, and they streamline the process. That being said, they also take part of your margins. So that's why right now we're going direct to these stores because financially it just makes more sense for us. And I think also just really um matching what we did here in the west which was me going to stores you know really taking the time to understand our customers and doing things slow and steady i think that that's really what we want to do out east as well and we have you know i would say a handful of stores that have already reached out to us that are really excited to have us on shelf Um, And so we really just want to prioritize our relationships with them first and really just get like the buzz of Yogu out east. We're also going to be doing a soft launch in Quebec as well. Um, So, yeah, it's really exciting. And then eventually, as we have our new facility, we'll start working with our distributor and we'll be in, you know, some of those like bigger chains like Sobeys. Yeah. Obviously, you have a large team in place now, but you started as just you. Yeah, we are a team of eight now. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That's still tinier than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. It's I I love our team. It's it's really cool because we're all just, you know, we're all on the same page. Everybody, you know, everybody is team yogu, which is really cool. And, um, yeah, it, you know, I think that what I've had to realize going from my days of like doing it on my own and like hand pouring, it's a lot of work. And I think that thankfully I've brought in people that have been able to like streamline the process a lot. So we don't really rely on like a lot of manual labor, anything like that anymore. A lot of it is, um, you know, done with machines and those sorts of things. But obviously, we need the the human brains and the manpower to be able to um, make sure that everything's running efficiently. Um, but yeah, we have a small but mighty team. 
when you were yourself and you had decided to make that first onboarding of a person, mm-hmm. at what point was that? And I don't know if this is uncomfortable for you to share, but were you in a financial position to be able to pay them a salary or did you contract them out or did you mm-hmm. offer equity or like what, what was mm-hmm. your process like to like start hiring? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love these questions. Um, <laughs> I, I always listen to podcasts and I'm always just like wanting people to dive more into this stuff because I want to know once the again, these are like these unknowns that no one talks mm-hmm. about. So I feel like I would love to share about this because I was super confused when I was navigating this stuff. So um, I feel like my whole sort of mentality with hiring out is I didn't want to grow too fast and I didn't want to, you know, grow outside of my means. Um, so what I did is I contracted people out. Um, so for instance, our first hire was a production assistant. So I basically just paid them like an hourly rate. Um, and they, they came when needed because another thing was I couldn't guarantee people hours at that point. It was basically like, okay, we're making product weekly, but we're doing it based on the demand that we have. So, you know, hours would fluctuate. Um, so yeah, production assistant was, was our first hire. And then as we started to build out the team, um, I would still contract people out. Um, and actually things have just started to pivot now. And so as we start to hire out more of like a senior leadership team, that's where I'm starting to have those conversations. When I started the company, I don't think I realized how much my staff would be this important part of my drive. And, you know, just this force that, you know, like I said, on those hard days to be able to just remember, like, what is that? Why? Like, why am I doing this? Um, And to be honest, my staff is very much involved in that why for me. And so everything that I do is to just really give them, you know, that that peace of mind in their life and to a have them come to a workplace that they like coming to. Um, and that I think has been just like a game changer for so many people. Like for the first time, they're like, you know, Jade, like I really love coming to work. And that for me is like, okay, like I just need to be cultivating this space that people always love coming to. Um, and I love just like the teamwork that I see. Um, and it just feels incredible to be supporting these humans on their journey in life. Um, And I think to be able to offer them these sorts of options is, you know, beyond my wildest dreams. And to actually be in this phase where we're making this a reality feels really good. I imagine it's very fulfilling. Yeah. And I also think it's very rare that you have like a a place people really love coming. I think most people don't Mm -hmm. like going to yeah absolutely it it definitely because I personally I would get a lot of anxiety going to different workplaces I a I felt like I never really fit in with like that mold of maybe like the nine to five work life 
Um, and so, yeah, just to have like a space where people come to and there's like no judgment and people can just be themselves and, you know, maybe they're doing a job right now that they don't, don't totally resonate with, but like we foster, you know, their, their abilities and we try to just like guide them in a direction where potentially they could take on a new role, um, it's just really cool to see people growing and we have majority women on our team as well. We have one male, the rest women. And it just feels really cool to just see these young women flourish. It's very, very fulfilling for sure. Yeah. I have a completely not on topic question. Mm. <laughs> you had mentioned that, I don't know if you still do, but in the beginning we're making your yogurt once a week or whatever it is how did you approach the idea of like a perishable good like that mm. to me is so intimidating mm -hmm. yeah like to even give you a bit more backstory on that like our shelf life currently is 37 days unopened okay and so like how do you how do you determine that <laughs> Shelf life testing. We work really closely with a lab here in Vancouver. So we send them samples quite regularly. They check for coliforms, yeast, mold, those sorts of things that determine that. Um, and then we do kind of like our own in-house testing. So that we like we're a natural product as well, which I always like to educate folks on because they're like, oh, but the yogurt I eat from Silk is, you know, four months. Why isn't yogurt four months? And I'm like, well, A, I don't know how they're processing their yogurt. I don't know what kind of preservatives they have in their yogurt. Um, you know, I think I've just learned so much about the lack of transparency in the food industry especially in Canada, just because, you know, CFIA, Canadian Food Inspection Agency, we're actually just in the process of, of switching over our labels so that everything is compliant. But there's so many, you know, ways that you can, can kind of alter things and still have it be okay. And people are tricky and it, it sucks because, you know, I see it and it definitely is a drive for me to be transparent. Um, for example, like our yogurt, sometimes they separate and separation is normal in a natural food product. And so, so much of it is just educating people that like, yes, this is normal. Um, but yeah, back to your question about the shelf life. Um, we we actually are in the process of extending our shelf life because 37 days, although that sounds quite long, by the time it gets to the East Coast, we've already lost a week, which, you know, would give 30 days, which is great. Thankfully, our product is like quite a fast moving product. So I feel like people consume it quite quickly and there's never really, you know, too much stock that's from from a month's prior on the shelf like for a lot of our stores we we deliver to them weekly so they're always just replenishing their stock um but yeah we we've been able to find some really innovative ways to extend our shelf life naturally which i'm really excited about um and so we'll start to to extend the shelf life as we move into our new facility but it's just been interesting to really just use resources that are naturally available 
um, and to be able to provide people with a longer shelf life because ultimately that also reduces waste for us. Um, and I do feel like it is important. I, I don't believe in like a three month shelf life, but I think two months is kind of like that sweet spot for us that, that feels okay, you know, taking into account that we're sending product across the country and then just making sure that there's not going to be a lot of waste um, if the product's sitting on the shelf for too long. Yeah, that was going to be a follow-up question of mine. How do you deal with food waste? Like, obviously, that you hope that every product would be purchased and consumed, but you can't yeah. guarantee. I mean, like I said, thankfully, there's something in the food world called shrink, and shrink is basically when a store has to throw out products. So sometimes for shrink, they'll charge you for that shrink. Um, thankfully, none of our stores ask for that, which is great. Um, maybe it's because they know we're a small business or maybe it's because the product moves well. I'm, I'm not sure. Thankfully, just judging by their orders and like the cadence of their orders, it's, it's quite regular, which is nice just to know that there's always that, that, that product kind of turnover. Um, yeah, actually one thing that happened last year, we actually had to dispose of quite a bit of product. We had just changed sanitizers and I mean, this was a great lesson for me to not always like, not always take what professionals say as like face value. Um, something that I'm learning is that what we do at Yogu is very different. And so when people have like a one size fits all um, solution, it doesn't necessarily always apply to us because what we are doing is quite unique. And so, for example, we changed our sanitizer and the rep came in and they recommended this sanitizer that was a leave-on sanitizer. So his whole thing was like, you spray it, you can make a sandwich on the table, and then you're good. And so for us, we were like, okay, well, we're going to leave on the sanitizer. And then we loaded in our coconut cream. And I could tell right away that something wasn't right. I was like, like there's a reaction happening right now and it's producing like a smell <laughs> and thing like there is a chemical reaction happening and we had to totally discard like I don't know quite a bit of cream like I would say 400 liters of coconut cream we had to get like a truck to just come and suck it all up and that was pretty sad but I mean Ultimately, A, we learned a bunch. We'll never make that mistake again. And there's been a lot of lessons through the process. But yeah, you know, not not a lot of waste, which feels really good. Yeah, that's nice. How did you go about sourcing your ingredients? Because obviously you couldn't just like buy coconut cream from a small place or wherever you were getting it before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sourcing has always been... Sourcing has been definitely a challenge, but I think like I was up for the challenge. I've always been like very good at doing investigative things online. Like I will just go into the depths of Google and try and figure things out. So I actually found our coconut cream supplier. We have two coconut cream suppliers because if I've learned anything, it's like you need redundancy. <laughs> um, you always need two of everything because actually when I first started, 
I had a supplier that had an out of stock for a very long time. And I learned very quickly that I needed to make sure that I had a secondary supplier. So actually when that happened, we couldn't make product for like two weeks, I think. So that was a good wake up call. It was very early on. So it wasn't like too big of a deal. But yeah, ultimately, I've had to make sure that we've had quite a bit of suppliers. Um, And so yeah, our coconut cream supplier was like a no brainer. It was organic. It had the texture and the taste that I wanted because I'm, I'm quite particular about the cream that we use. I find that a lot of coconut products are quite coconutty. Um, they kind of have that aroma of like a coconut, coconut sunscreen almost. Like, I don't know. I'm not really into that sort of flavor. And ours is very neutral. And so when they samples I was like this is the one and then on top of it it was organic it was fair trade they had sent us like videos of their manufacturing facility and I was like wow like all these things check the box so that was great um and then we started to find another supplier who also had those same sort of values and yeah, I've, I've actually become really great friends with our suppliers, which is nice. Like sometimes they'll just call <clears throat> and we'll just chat and it's great. You know, um, <laughs> you definitely build relationships with your suppliers, which just is pretty cool. Um, and it feels really good to be supporting them and to really just be in this together. If you had to put your finger on it. What would be the biggest challenge you think that you faced? Hmm, that's a really good question. (laughs) I think something that comes to mind, like just because I feel like I faced it quite recently, is navigating the whole fundraising process. I think that fundraising is very glorified. Um, And what I mean by that is that, you know, you might read an article about a company that fundraised $2 million, you know, maybe their seed round was like $2 million. But what people don't talk about is what that $2 million leaves, you know, the founder after that, right? Like we, we often hear about venture capital. And, you know, the whole idea of venture capital and what that entails, I feel like, you know, there's just this glorified image of what all of that means. And I've really had to educate myself on that whole process. And like, you know, when you are kind of the startup company and, you know, perhaps your valuation isn't as high as it could be because you need to get to this next stage in your like growth trajectory so that you can get that valuation up it's really difficult because I think there's a lot of people that want to come in and they want to, you know, get it, get in while it's hot and like, you know, maybe take more of your company. And that never felt good for me. I just feel like I've had, I've had the, the fortune of bootstrapping the business up until this point and so I've never had to you know respond to any sort of outside you know forces and it's just felt really good to always have a very clear vision and a clear path of where we're going 
And I think that that's been really instrumental for how we've grown thus far. And we've grown perhaps slower than some people might want. But I think it's just been really good to build a really solid foundation for us. And so, you know, when I started this whole process of fundraising, very early on, I had I don't like using this word, but I had like a shark, (laughs) Um, you know, that was, you know, fairly aggressive and wanted like a lot of equity in the business. And it was like this great, you know, sum that they wanted to invest, but it didn't feel right. And it didn't feel right from the very beginning. And this whole process has, it's been a lot like dating because ultimately you have to you know, entertain it, go on a few dates, you know, and then you kind of have to break up with them if it's not working out. And for me, it's really hard sometimes to say no to people, especially when they do want to help you. But I think once again, I have to come back to those like values that I have and that like gut feeling. Um, My gut it's so funny because I say to people like we make probiotic yogurt and here I am like always it's just sounds so cheesy but like you have to listen to that gut feeling and I feel like there have been times where last year I made a really bad decision on something which cost us a lot of money because I thought that it was the right decision and I think I acted out of a bit of like scarcity mode um it was a new potential facility actually. And the the landlord ended up um, stealing quite a bit of money from us because he, yeah, he didn't have very good intentions, but my gut feeling from the very beginning was like, this person does not seem like they have good intentions, but I was willing, like, I ended up putting that to the side. Cause I was like, we really need this facility. Like, you know, we need to keep growing. And I just, I didn't, lean into that feeling when I should have and so now everything that I do is just trusting myself and I think sometimes it's really hard to trust yourself it's like very much a daily practice for me to you know combat that like imposter syndrome of like do I know the right decisions to make Um, am I the best person fit to make these decisions but you know I it is a daily practice and I feel like Every day I, I become a little bit stronger in practicing that. And it has helped me a lot in this fundraising process because sometimes it just doesn't feel right. And I think it's okay to just say, you know, this isn't the right move for us right now. Thank you. Um, and like I said, ultimately it led me to this incredible place that I'm at right now where we're just finishing our first round of fundraising and it feels really good. It feels really good. And, you know, to look back and to know that I had to go through all of those other experiences so that it could lead me to where I am today. um, You know, it's been challenging, but we're overcoming it and it just feels really good to, you know, get to this next stage of our growth. I'm like so impressed by everything that you know. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's, I, I don't feel like I know a lot some days. It's, there's my hardest thing, another challenge. I know you only asked for one, but I'll share this okay. one. You can give it as much another as challenge is like, I think as a founder, you, 
you're like trying to deal with so many things on a day-to-day basis and you're trying to once again do what's right for you and your business and your employees and it just becomes really overwhelming on days and I feel like it's a roller coaster ride because it's like some days I'm feeling really good and confident about what I'm doing and then some days you'll just be like what am I doing I'm not I'm not the best person to do this like you have these like self-doubt moments and it really has just become it's a growing experience for me really Um, And I think so much of business now has become like very much a spiritual practice. And I know that that sounds very woo woo, but it's like trusting that, you know, things are going to happen and believing in yourself. Like it's really, I don't think, I feel like my personal growth has, has grown exponentially in the past year because I'm overcoming fears. I'm overcoming all of these things, which I don't know if I would have been able to grow at the same rate if I wasn't doing what I'm doing right now and surrounding myself around really incredibly inspiring, hardworking people. Um, so yeah, that, that's been a challenge, just dealing with that like inner voice in your head daily and just trying to overcome all of that self-doubt that I think inherently every human has. Yeah. So I know that your plan for the next year is to expand to the East coast, but for the next five years, what would you say your dreams for yoga are? Like, do you guys plan on coming up with more products sticking Mm -hmm. to just yogurt or like, what's your plan? Mm Hmm. So in the next five years, I definitely want Yogu to be a household name when it comes to dairy-free alternatives. I think what we're trying to do at Yogu is really just set the bar for dairy-free alternatives. So, you know, right now we have yogurt and our whole kind of um, mission is just to make unbelievably good tasting and good for you dairy-free products you know and I think so many people don't want to transition to dairy-free products because they feel like they're giving something up and I mean just you know going back to what you was it Tess or Savannah I don't know one of you said that you tried a lot yeah you tried a lot of options and they just didn't cut it And like, we really want to serve as that brand and as those products that people are like, man, I mean, I'm not vegan, but I eat yogu because it tastes really good and it's good for me. And, you know, as we start to roll out new products um, and innovate new products as well, I really just want yogu to be that leader in that space. Um, I think going back to what I said earlier about, you know, kind of doing things for the first time in this industry and not having a ton of people to rely on in terms of like, you know, food scientists or those sorts of people to be able to help us. I really want Yogu to have like our own in-house team that can always just be like pushing the needle forward in that way. Um, so that we're always just leading this sort of like space because 
very thankful for like Dea for like paving the way in the plant-based area. But I think now it's like companies like Yogu to really just like set that bar and even set the bar for transparency in the foods that we eat. You know, like we don't sweeten with any artificial sweeteners we don't even sweeten with any refined sugars all of our our yogurts are refined sugar free um so we sweeten with coconut nectar which is like very low glycemic our mango flavor is only sweetened with mango puree original has no added sugar so i think ultimately just like making choices more accessible to people but that are really good for you. And so people just know Yogu as being that product that they they always want to grab. And I think also something that I really believe strongly in is, you know, I think yogurt, like just even thinking about dairy is a very highly subsidized by the government because the dairy industry is, you know, a subsidized industry. But I think it's just so old school. And I feel like in the food space, like I love, you know, the wellness and the fashion space because I feel like brands are super progressive and there's always like amazing brands with cool branding. And I feel like within the food space, especially dairy, there really needed this sort of shakeup. And I feel like Yogu, like even with our packaging, like our squiggles are not only supposed to be fun, but they're supposed to symbolize like your microbiome, like little microbes in your gut. Um, but we just want to bring like this new light to to this space that has been very old school and it just needed some sort of shake up. And so I think that's what we're really trying to do is just sort of um, redefine what the whole category looks like and bring really exciting products that people want to eat. And it's not like you have to eat it. It's because you choose to eat it. (laughs) I appreciate that. I do feel like the dairy-free kind of wellness space sometimes is not transparent. Like you think they're good, but the ingredients Mm -hmm. don't necessarily like match what they're trying to show so I appreciate your transparency yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think more people need to be transparent like I I hope that Yogu inspires other brands to just and I know so many brands like there's so much innovation happening like in other areas of the food industry and I'm like so grateful that there's this new sort of progressive wave of this food movement and more and more people are getting transparent about what's in their products. So hopefully there will be a time, you know, in however many years from now where we won't have to think twice about like reading labels or like questioning, you know, things. Jade, thank you for sitting down with us and sharing all your knowledge. We appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Honestly, I, it's great to connect.